This is exactly right. Off they're going into the world. And all you can hope for is that they're taking with them the street smarts and the instincts and the, you know, care for others and respect for themselves and respect for others into the world that they'll be happy, healthy, and safe. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Finding a New Buddy, Teaching Kids About Friendship with Christina Geist. Christina believes your life is measured in your relationships, not your accomplishments. She's been married to high school sweetheart, Sunday Today, and Morning Joe host, Willie Geist, for 19 years. They met in sixth grade in their hometown of Ridgewood, New Jersey, and currently live in Westchester County, New York, with their two children, Lucy and George. Their parents, siblings, and 10 nieces and nephews are all close by. Christina is the New York Times bestselling author of the Growing with Buddy series, Buddy's Bedtime Battery, and the New York Times bestseller, Sorry Grownups, You Can't Go to School. Her latest book, which we are also going to be talking about today, is Buddy's New Buddy. In addition, Christina happens to also be the founder and CEO of Boombox Gifts and co-founder of Truegeist, a branding and design firm. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Dan. So I really appreciate how honest you are and transparent you are. I just read your latest the um, Lit, Lit Hub piece where you talk about early on the struggles, like how hard it is to be a, a good parent or just how hard it is to be a parent. So I was wondering if you could tell everyone about how you view, how you view parenting and sharing your stories with everyone. Sure. I'm happy to. And thank you for having me. This is such an important conversation and such a great forum um, for parents out there. So I'm really um, grateful to be a part of the conversation. And um, for me, you know, I always try to start these kinds of conversations with I'm N of one. I'm just Mm -hmm. one person. I'm one mom. I happen to be a writer, um, but I'm only one person. I'm in no way a parenting expert like some of your other guests. I just happen to be a parent. Um, And for me, um, a lot of my stories, my children's books in particular, were really born out of that experience, of that parenting experience in that moment of the middle of the night with a colicky newborn and a toddler in the bedroom next door and just Mm -hmm. praying that no matter what happened, the toddler didn't wake up. And, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, that constant kind of compromise that happens once you become 
a parent and especially if you become a parent of another child and you kind of mm-hmm. have two at the same time or god bless my little sister she has three boys under six and a fourth child on the way we don't know mm. if boy or girl mm-hmm. um but i'm observing her you know in those weeds right now and i think um empathy is a big part of life for me. And I almost have to look back on myself in those years now that my kids mm-hmm. are 15 and 13 and empathize with myself. <laughs> and, totally. Um, and, you know, I wish I could go back and say, it's okay. It's okay. Yes. I really appreciate that. Um, I as well go back and I look at the years of overwhelm with art. We have three, but about four years apart. Uh, you know, almost under five years apart. And like yours, um, there were they were not good sleepers actually for a very long time. And that sleep deprivation, and then you still have your day activities and you still have to do all that stuff. And you just it's hard not to look back with, oh man, I wish I would have handled that differently or now here i am 10 to 15 years plus more mature as a human being and if i knew then what i know now you know so i think that self that empathy and compassion for parents is really important i agree and we're very lucky in that we had a huge village around us um first of all i wasn't a single parent um mm-hmm. i have a great partnership in my husband and we really are partners. We met when we were very young. We met when we were in sixth grade and we were always um, classmates. You know, we were in the same math class, same English class. We saw each other as kind of academic equals our whole teen years and even through college. And so when it came to career and, um, you know, each of us getting started out there in the world, we really viewed each other as equals. And so When it came time for me to wave the flag and step away from work, when the kids were three and one, my husband works in very early morning television. And we were living in a New York City apartment with nowhere for him to sleep um, before he got up to go write a TV show at 3 a.m. So he was on the couch, we're sequestered in different parts of the house of the apartment, just trying to kind of get through it. And um, when you're in those trenches together, I think it highlights not kind of who you are as a parent and what your point of view is as a parent, but also who you are as a partner. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it can bring out the best and worst in people. (laughs) I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of families experienced that in COVID when everyone was kind of crunched back in, you know, Mm -hmm. to these really pressure cooker situations uh, as families. And it either was kind of like either you rose to the occasion or it brought out all the stuff that, needed to be addressed and could not wait, you know, another minute. Um, and so I, I look at life as a long game and I think, um, if you've got the right people around you and you've got the right village around you, um, the game can be a lot of fun and, um, there's no such thing as too much love in a child's life. So if Mm -hmm. you tap Mm -hmm. out and take a time out yourself, um, by all means do it and, call in the grandmas, you know, or call in your, your, the aunts and uncles, whoever you need. Yeah. Just be okay with, you don't have to do it all yourself. And the other thing you alluded to is there are some people who are having to do it largely by themselves. And that just 
that is so hard. It's just harder. And so any way you can create a village, whether it's through your biological kin who you happen to live with, and I know we'll talk about you guys just made a really significant move, uh, I think to be closer to family, which is awesome. Um, but ki- like any vil- at kin, um, neighbors, cousins, um, mentors, boys and girls club, like there's so many ways to create that village. And it is so important because of course, that's how we all used to grow up um, back in the day, depending on how far back you go, right? Village, village raises kids, not parent or parents. Totally. And I think the thing that is tricky is to be the fun one. And, you know, when you're, when you're doing all of the stuff, Mm-hmm. It's really hard sometimes to like push your own fun button and <laughs> to be, you know, I used to, we used to laugh when my husband would kind of sweep in and do something fun. It was like, Oh, here's fun daddy. You know, totally. go ahead, go off with fun daddy. Not that I resented him for that. Like you need that role. And mm-hmm. sometimes I, you know, over the years I've been like, we're going on a trip and I'm like, okay, fun mom is out. You know, here she is. Like <laughs> she says yes to everything. She doesn't care, like sure, an extra ice cream before noon, whatever. And mm-hmm. it's it's like a button I do have to kind of push. Um, not as much now. They're 15 and 13. Life is a lot easier until they start driving. That'll be another episode <laughs> of this podcast. But, yeah. um, you know, in those early days when you're policing every bite of food and every move, it's very hard to just be fun. And so I think if you can accept that other people in your kid's life might be playing that role a little more um, prominently than you are. That's Mm -hmm. okay. But someone's got to be fun. Um, And Mm -hmm. the fun thing for me now about writing picture books is that I get to be this fun presence in my readers' Mm -hmm. lives. When I show up for a school visit or I show up for a story time at a library or I show up here or wherever I am out in the world, I kind of get to play this fun person role. And I'm sure my kids are sometimes like rolling their eyes. Like where, <laughs> where was this woman? Uh, yeah. When, totally. we had to, when we had to eat our vegetables. Yeah. All, both are important, right? We need the taskmasters. We like stuff has to get done people. And um, you're right. It, it's really important to try to step back and be fun too. And for those of you who don't feel that fun, I think there's uh, two things about this. One is to, uh, to to remind yourself that you're doing all the important things to keep the family going. And two, to take a deep breath and maybe hit the fun button every once in a while. Because I think we get locked into the tasks. I always talk about the forest and the trees. And we often get stuck in the trees. Like, do your homework. Get out the door. You got to go to practice. You got to empty the dishwasher. And it's it's often good to take a step back if we can and look at the big picture in the moment is like, Hey, do I want to focus on getting, having them get this done or having a good exchange? You know, can, can bedtime be a little later? So I reduce conflict and we go to bed loving each other 20 minutes later. Like this is all that purposeful awareness stuff that we try to espouse while we're in the moment. Yeah. uh, It's, it's, it's hard. And I think that is the nature of, that, that is the tension of parenthood is mm-hmm. like, I can line all this up logistically. I can crush logistics really big time, right? Mm-hmm. I tee it all up. Everything's set. Well, these are human beings. So regardless of how much you have sorted out, lined up in your you know spreadsheet, on the calendar, whatever it is, 
you're human beings coexisting and there are big emotions in little people's lives. And, you know, that is the part that I think is a struggle day to day for a lot of parents, particularly if you left your job and you're kind of like professionally parenting, because I think our generation of people who have decided to take a break from work, and I'm one of them, mm-hmm. when you took the break from work, it felt all of a sudden like, well, I have to achieve at motherhood, you know, right. and there is this social media climate that we live in now where everyone is kind of broadcasting their achievement in parenthood mm. or there's yeah. the flip side and they're hyper broadcasting all of the fails and there mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be anything in between. And mm. the real reality is life is all in between, you know, and yeah. Yeah. you will crush breakfast time and be so good at that. And they ate it and they didn't ask to watch a Paw Patrol and you did it and they got out the door. And then 30 minutes later, you have failed because you forgot to bring the backpack to camp drop off. So you're, you know, you're on this roller coaster of success and failure, success and failure, success and failure all throughout the day. And it's hard then to kind of just rectify that and be like, well, it was a good day when you just feel like you're constantly up and down, up and down. And that's just Mm -hmm. the way it is. And I think that sometimes um, we have to remind ourselves that like, this isn't a profession. You're not going to get a performance review. Um, That's not how this works. (laughs) The the performance review will come one day when they look you in the eye and just say, I love you out of the blue. Yes. And, you know, then you have to just put everything down and say, I'm taking the rest of the day off. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like you said, the long haul, it really is the long haul. And I think most parents and particularly, I think from the motherhood transition for for mothers who go from working out of the home to then leaving their job to focus on family, that is a tough transition. Because as you said, there is no performance review. There are no metrics. And throughout the day, it actually feels like you're getting several very small and strong negative performance review, depending on the day, right? It's like, it feels thankless at times, um, if we're just focusing on the day or the moment rather than the long haul. And I love the idea of this is out of challenge success, uh, Stanford's work, which is, you know, the goal is to raise healthy adults, yeah, healthy, engaged adults. And it is messy along the way for lots of different reasons. Even before there was a pandemic, um, it was messy for our teens, our kids and our teens growing up these days. And so it does. Yeah, it's it's long haul and a lot of empathy and compassion. And 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 how about and worry? I just know that for my wife and I, it's a now our kids are a little older than yours, where our youngest is about to launch in college. So our third one is we're, we're entering that. Oh, oh my gosh, are we really in this phase of life? Um, there's a lot of worry that goes on with raising youngsters these days. And I was wondering if you could tell us how you how how that it works for you and how do you manage that? Yeah, I definitely have that. And I think when they were little, um, when I was writing these stories, when I first started writing these picture books, my kids were little, they were, um, three and five the fall that I said, I'm going to write all these down. I had these stories kind of dancing around in my mind 
and um, sorry, grownups, you can't go to school was definitely rooted in that worry. Not my child's worry about going off to school or in the case that the story came to me and sparked, it was going off to a little summer camp for toddlers. The worry on my part that I would have to like lay out this red carpet of emotional preparedness so that when that day came, it would just be like super smooth. And I mm-hmm. think that the the worry for me is um, generally manifests itself in are they prepared? And so when they were younger, we were living in Manhattan. And if you don't know this about New York City kids, when they get to seventh grade, the school bus no longer takes them. They get a Metro card instead. And the expectation is that they're moving around the city with their Metro card, either either on the bus or subway or whatever public transportation is the right match for them to get to their particular school. So that year I would put my son on the school bus and then walk a few blocks with my daughter and put her on the subway. And they were going to the same place, but that was her routine. And so we had to lay out this, well, you know, she didn't know I was doing this, but I was doing this in my own mind, laying out this, this kind of runway to feel Mm -hmm. like when we got to the day and we did this gradually at first, I rode with her, then I rode with her and I didn't go up ground and I just turned around and rode back. Then I stopped riding with her, but I would still go to the, um, platform and I would Mm -hmm. stand there on the platform because I just wanted to stand there on the platform and say goodbye, you know, and I would still scan my Metro card and pay for the ride that I wasn't going to take because I I wanted to be on the platform. And I never got to the point where I didn't go all the way to the platform. I never got to the point where I was like, bye, just leave, leave the apartment and go. Right. I would have Mm -hmm. had to, had COVID not hit and we had to change our transportation. I mm-hmm. would have had to get to that point. And I think that for me is like a metaphor in all of these situations is, okay, I'm starting with you here. Then I'm letting you go. I'm letting you go. I'm letting you go. I'm letting you go. And I have to let myself go in that process. Yeah, And I have yeah. to know that you're prepared because we prepared for this together and we did. And yes, I yeah. also need you to know that I'm going to stay on that platform as long as you want me. Mm-hmm. And that you're, mm-hmm. so the day that I stopped riding the train was her decision, not mine. Mm. And I needed her to know that if she wanted me to ride that train every day for the entire year, I would have. Yeah. Because yeah. who cares if a seventh grader isn't ready to move around Manhattan on their own? Certainly. Yeah, that is big. You know, that is really big. A yeah. college kid, sure. But it's you're seventh right. grader. You know, it's not like you're carrying your. Uh, your binky with you, it's young still. So, you know, I think for me, that kind of guides the way we deal with all of this stuff. And basically what you did, I'm going to bring in two psychological processes from cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, CBT, as people know it. You did two things there. And I think this is wonderful. We've done this a lot with our kids over the years, too. One idea is you did systematic desensitization, which is you slowly inoculate the child to a situation little by little until the stress with each step goes away due to routine and comfort. 
right? So you desensitize. So you did that. And then the other classic thing you did is what we call exposure therapy. You gradually expose the child to doing the situations which cause some level of worry or discomfort. And you do little by little, you expose, expose, expose until it becomes, eh, this is no big deal. I got this. So it's a way of building coping skills and building confidence. And it is such a wonderful approach for preparing kids for any aspect of life. Why, thank you, Dr. Dan. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was, um, you know, employing these techniques I may have learned as a psychology minor (laughs) 25 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, it's brilliant. And and everyone listening, it works. And I, when I read you, you, in, in one of the pieces, you had alluded to one of those stories and I had a flashback with one of ours. Um, in elementary school, having to do the same thing to help her walk in from the parking lot to her classroom all by herself, just year after year, bit by bit, practice after practice until it was done. And the other part of that story to share with everyone is when our kids are anxious about something, they fight like crazy to avoid it because that's what we humans do, right? We avoid what we're afraid of. And they also say things like, I don't care. That's stupid. I don't want to go. I don't have to do that. I don't know why everyone's making a big deal. But that's usually out of fear. And once you're able to help them bridge and accomplish that task, they walk taller. And the confidence that they get from that, not only that, accomplishing that task, it, it oozes into other aspects of their life. Yeah. And I, I, I think that that's something we're all kind of grappling with in, in, sev- in many ways, even as adults right now in this kind of post COVID environment that we're in where we kind of, I know I personally sort of retreated to like this little rabbit hole, you know, and, and the surprising thing for me in the whole COVID experience was that I didn't really mind it. It was surprising to me how easily I sort of just detached from the the rest of the world and kind of became really like introverted. And mm-hmm. I was surprised at how it wasn't that hard for me. And then here we were back coming out of that. And in our case, as a family, we relocated um, outside of New York City um, for these high school, middle school years and started, my kids started a new school in ninth and sixth grade last fall. And so we were all new kids and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even Willie and I were new parents and it, it occurred to me in this story and buddy's new buddy where buddy's not a new kid. His best friend has moved away. And so he's Mm -hmm. adapting to this newness of this kind of empty seat at the desk next to him at school and how does he broach this this process of finding a new friend and making a new friend um so he doesn't have to show up as a new kid in fact the new girl who comes to school sunny is very confident she has no problem being the new girl buddy's the one acclimating to this situation so i sort of flipped it a little bit there um but in that case it's it's this reminder that we push our kids into being new all the time. Our kids are new constantly. You know, mm-hmm. they're new right now at camp or they're new at college or they're new mm-hmm. at school. Obviously, they're new at karate class. They're new at music class. They go to the playground and the majority of the time they arrive at a playground, they don't know anyone else there. They are new right. on the playground. Right. And we just sort of push them off and push them off. Or I remember going to a friend's house and there was just a gaggle of kids 
And mine were old enough to go be in the gaggle of kids and I didn't have to kind of hover around. You know, they weren't going to fall down and hurt themselves anymore. They were sort of out of that toddlerhood and into this sort of big kid mode where they could just go off with the gang of kids wherever we were and feeling like, ah, what a relief. Now I can just chat with my friends and they'll go off with the kids and they don't even care who the kids are. They just see people their size and they're like, oh, that's where I fit in. Off I go. Mm -hmm. And then as adults, how hard it is for us to be new and how, you know, we actually don't do this that often anymore. We don't really mm -hmm. push ourselves into new situations or try new things or, you know, go show up at a ballet class and not know if everyone's going to be better than you. And, you know, right. have you ever done this before? And we're like, yo, you'll be great. Go ahead. And if yeah. we actually went and did that, it would be totally terrifying. So it was a nice way through this story of Buddy's New Buddy to remind myself, mm -hmm. challenge myself um, to feel new again and to push myself into those kinds of situations, um, which, you know, uh, those are, there are stories there. <laughs> mm -hmm. For sure. Um, I'm also flashing on when we moved to our community, when our oldest, I think, well, when our kids were in uh, preschool or some of them one were not born yet. And then we entered our local elementary school for the first time as these new parents. And my wife and I, who um, we met in college and we are generally social people, we were like, oh my gosh, we are, this is like being a child again. We're against the, like the side of the school auditorium. We don't know anyone. We don't know what to say. There's clearly all these groups of people who know each other and have all these stories. And we would keep showing up and we're like, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable. How did this happen to us? Like we, we were comfortable and it, and we did, we had a stretch and keep showing up and introducing ourselves. And then who are our people who might not be our people, but it is, it's hard. It's, it's really hard to do that as an adult. Totally. And in this, in this case of the story in Buddy's new buddy, the way that he works through it. And I think this, this is so funny because we are having these conversations at a much more like adultish level in my household is that. His older sister, of course, his older sister, you know, lady. Comes, comes to the yes. rescue. Lady, that's his big sister. She's sort of omnipresent and ever helpful in all three of my books. And she has an idea of making a new friend and um, says, you know, all you need to do is find something you have in common. And Buddy in this story is in first or second grade, so he doesn't understand the concept of in common. And she explains it to him by she's in her room and she has like, you know, a drawing easel and she sketches out. The, yeah. the line drawings, here's Buddy in the middle. And then here are all these little things that he loves, cookies, dogs, dinosaurs, karate. Um, he loves robots. And so all these things he, he loves. And she explains to him, you know, something in common is something you both, uh, something about you that's the same, something you both like to share or play or do together. And he says, okay, I'll try. And so um, we've talked about that, you know, at the, at the high school, middle school, adult level of really, it takes one thing you have in common with one person one day at a time. Mm -hmm. You just remind mm -hmm. yourself that all you need is one. You need one person and one thing in common and just start there. And um, I think coming out of this weird, socially strange, stressful couple of years that we've all been through, I remind myself of that 
you know, pretty mm-hmm. often as I'm, mm-hmm. as I'm reading it to my little buddies. Yeah. I, I think one person, one thing, one day at a time, that's so important because, um, again, pandemic aside, we have been, we have been living in a culture Probably social media has a lot to do with this, where being out there, being extroverted, having lots of friends, having lots of likes, having lots of connections is seen as the gold standard. And a lot of people just need one person and are fine with one person. And a lot of parents are like, oh, my child only has one close friend and we think they should be branching out. You know, there's a lot of introverted people and uh, newsflash people. Extroversion is not more powerful or successful than introversion. And those people are good with one. And it's quality over quantity. And I think we just have to keep reminding ourselves as that is when we're worried about our kids and their connections or lack thereof, we need to look at our kid and see how is our child, is our child satisfied? Is our child fine? Like what is our worry about how they should be versus how are they feeling in their own body at this place in time. Yes. And I think it's really um, important to know your kid, Mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and I've seen all, you know, you get to the point where you have a 15 and a 13 year old and you've known so many other parents and so many other kids by that point in all these classrooms and all these environments, right. And even in your own family, and I know there are people in my life who really, truly know their kid. And then you come across people who, you know, you can see that they're pushing them here, pushing them there. They're sort of trying to put them in this activity because that's the popular activity that everybody does in town. But their kid hates that activity. And so, you know, pull them out, find what they love. Like you sort of have to. You have to know them, but then you also have to follow them a little bit. And you have Mm -hmm. to be comfortable with them trying something and not loving it and figuring out what do they love? Where what does kind of speak to them and spark their interest? And it may not be the thing that you did when you were a kid, and it may not be the thing that their older siblings doing, and it may not be the thing that all the rest of the kids on your neighborhood block are doing. And that's okay. And I think there's uh, particularly as I see it in like some, a lot of our friends that are like in more like suburban cultures, right? Where like the town and you grow up in the town and everybody plays this and everyone does that. And in New York City, it's very different when you're a young kid. Everyone sort of scatters off and goes and does whatever they do and then they come to school. And there is like this mm-hmm. separation there. Um, so I've got the interesting vantage point of having like viewed both of those. Um, worlds. Not that one is any better than the other, because I think sometimes it's harder for the city kid to play lacrosse if they really love it, because <laughs> it's hard to find it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think if you can follow your kid a little bit and then, you know, watch where they're headed and then mm-hmm. try to try to put the thing in front of them that feels like, aha, here's this little, you know, brass ring for this guy. Um, you know, for my son, it's drums. He's a drummer. Mm-hmm. He's a great musician. He's had an ear for music since he was very young. We've always known it's going to show up in some way. Um, mm-hmm. But if you put him on the stage and told him he had to sing in the choir, he would shut his mouth and just stand there. That's mm-hmm. not the way it's going to work for him, you know? And so it's like, try to find the right match. Yes. And 
it is harder for parents in my experience to do that when you have a child who is veering off of what is considered mainstream or considered you know the supposed to sort of stuff whether it's sports or um I don't know what have you just the the like what everyone's doing and it takes a lot of courage as a parent to follow your child in their own beat and what you're talking about, Christina, is accepting, right? Is accepting your child for who he or she or they are. And that doesn't mean you have to accept dangerous behavior. I think sometimes people get confused, particularly as kids become adolescents and there is more, not always more propensity to push some limits in identity development. And it's like, well, that is not okay. And yeah, it's some behavior we do have to really intervene, but that intervening on behavior is different than accepting for who our child, this human is and showing them that they are valuable for who they are, not for what they're doing or how they look or how they're performing. I totally agree with that. And it, um, and I think that it comes first with, um, for me really trying to remember who I was at that age, I'm blessed with a pretty, pretty clear memory of myself at different points in time. My mom might disagree (laughs) with my (laughs) version of events and and what was really going on from a parental point of view, but I do remember myself, particularly my daughter is entering 10th grade. I have very clear, vivid memories of high school and what I was feeling and middle school as well. And so I can try to kind of put myself into that age and try Mm -hmm. to sort of say to my kids, like, this is what I was feeling at that point in time. This is what my friends were up to. And I, and, you know, with all the high school stuff about to go down, I've, Mm -hmm. I've said to my daughter, look, nothing that you're going to go through or experience is something that dad or I haven't seen or heard. So Mm -hmm. you can tell me, you don't have to tell me, but you can tell me, and I guarantee you, I will not be shocked. Mm-hmm. I might mm-hmm. not agree. We might have, you know, we might not see eye to eye on things, but if there's something that you need help with or a friend needs help with and you're ever concerned that coming to me will shock me, you are wrong. You are already wrong. And mm-hmm. um, because I, I remember it all uh, myself. So we're, we're veering far out of children's picture books into <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the other genre. We'll get back there. We'll get back there. But I, I think, yeah. I, I wouldn't even attempt yeah. to tackle as a writer. Yeah. Um, but I think as a parent, it is important to say, oh, yeah, what was I up to? Totally. Totally. And all of this, um, God, what are they thinking? Or how can they do that? Or that take that risk or do that thing? I just think what you're saying is so important is for everyone listening, like, Let's take a step back and think about what you were thinking at that time. When our kids are get older and they have less need to communicate with us and we start to take it personally, think about what you were thinking about the communication with your parents. And a lot of the time, 
I tell clients who deal with this a lot, it's not that your kids are doing this to you. They're actually not even considering you because if you've also are doing things healthy, they're focused on their own life instead of focused on taking care of you and doing things because you need them to do it. And so it's this real, you know, interesting process of kids being invested in their own lives and us trying to remain connected to what it's like to be in that phase of life, as you are pointing out. Yeah. And when they're little, your, your mission is to choreograph this world for them. Like when you're parenting a young child, you're trying to sort of build this world that they live in. Right. And the Mm -hmm. people that are in it and the places that they go. And I'm like, with my hand, I'm creating this little like dome on my desk. Yes. A container. You're, you're, you are, you're building this world for them. And that actually Mm -hmm. is your job as a parent of a young child is Mm -hmm. what is their world and are they safe and happy and healthy in it? Right. And then all of a sudden, in whatever the you know, the clock strikes, whatever age, it's the world that they're in now, and it's the whole world. And it's you've you've lost that role of having these boundaries that you're creating around them, and you're yeah. now watching them go, and their back is turned, and off they're going into the world. And all you can hope for is that they're taking with them the street smarts and the instincts and the, you know, care for others and respect for themselves and respect for others into the world that they'll be happy, healthy and safe. And um, and it's very hard. It's very hard when their back turns and they start to go that way. But to your earlier point and to the Stanford, you know, research that we've all read about, that's the gig guys. Like that's the point. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And right. I certainly don't want them moving home after college and feeling like they can't make it out there in the world without us paying their rent or they can't afford to find this place to live because it's not nice enough. Well, go live in the crappy place. That's what we all did. You know, you got to make it work. Like, and I think Mm -hmm. that that the instinct is to still be building the world for them. And, Mm -hmm. and that's not doing them justice. So remind Mm -hmm. me that I said this when they're graduating from college, I'm going to have to go back and play this for myself then. Well, and we'll be having another conversation about um, your latest book in the Growing Up uh, Buddy Growing Up series because I have a feeling um, is Buddy going to be with us for a while? Is Buddy going to grow? Are we going to grow up with Buddy? It's a good question. It's a good question, Doctor Dan. I don't know if I want him to get any older, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Um, my picture book readers are like my you know sweet spot for Buddy's bedtime battery is like three, four, five years old, even babies mm-hmm. love that book because that book is all about your body parts and where's your eye and your nose and your ears beep. And you're beeping your um, little body and powering down for bed and the exuberance and imaginative world of, you know, in my imagination, buddies about three and a half in that story. 
And mm-hmm. sorry, grownups, you can't go to school. He's kindergarten. He, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's out the door and ladies in second grade. And now in Buddy's new buddy, he's in second grade. She's in, you know, maybe fourth or fifth. And um, my reader moves out of picture books you know, at that pretty much at that moment in time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm wrestling with what's next. It takes me three years to get a book made from the point that I write the manuscript to actually holding it in my hand and sharing it with you. And Mm -hmm. so when that happens, I want to spend time with this one. I do not have like a um, pipeline of the next one, the next one, the next one. Um, some authors do, I actually don't. So each book, I then kind of take a deep breath and go back now and pitch again. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, um, I'm wrestling with that, uh, uh, with kind of what is next for buddy or, um, do we, do we let him live in this beautiful little world he lives in? And, um, and, and move on to something new and different. This is the creative challenge that I am facing at this moment. I'll let you know where I net out. I Thanks for sharing that process. I Creativity seems to be a very large part uh, of your life. Creative problem solving, creative branding, creative memories. I mean, I see the theme and um, creativity requires a lot of percolation. Mm. Right. A lot of time to think and to um, I just love the the creative process where we if we don't know where it's going and we allow things to unfold. Yeah. And it can be uncomfortable at times. But I think I've had the um, I've had the blessing in my job of always writing and having writing be a part of my professional work where I started out. I thought I would be a television producer, television news writer. And I did start out there. Ironically, that is what my husband does now. Um, but I didn't last long in that world. Um, cause quite honestly, the schedule of a TV newsroom is so brutal. I couldn't mm-hmm. hack it. Now I live with it. Um, yeah. but I can empathize <laughs> with the short <laughs> time I spent. But so I jumped ship and started working with brands and working in PR and working in advertising, marketing, branding, and realizing there's this whole world where you're writing creatively and thinking creatively for a business to propel a business Mm -hmm. forward. And that was where I was for many years um, doing that type of work. And I still do that type of work at True Geist. We're a branding firm. I think in pictures, I'm sorry, I think in words, my partner, Todd True, my business partner thinks in pictures. Mm -hmm. And, um, And together we name companies, we name products, we design logos. You know, I write I write copywriting, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Boombox, it's really all about storytelling to celebrate life. And those uh, memory boxes were born when my friends were turning 40. My dad was turning 70. We were making memory boxes, trying to gather messages, letters from everyone that was really special and important to them in one place, in a box. And this isn't a new idea, but there was no service to help me do it. And I felt so compelled once I made a few of these myself and I held my dad or my friend's life story in my hands on cards that I had designed and fed through my printer. But really all I had done is asked everyone that loved them to tell them what they meant to them. And I, Mm -hmm. I read those stories. I curated those stories. So I felt like I was in this, um, just really honorable position of, of, um, reading their life, you know, and holding on to it. And I thought, God, why isn't there 
a service for this? Why is this so hard for me to do myself? Maybe all this work I've done on other people's brands has led me to this. Maybe I'm actually ready to do my own. And um, at that point, when you're 40, you do look ahead and you look back. And my parents, thank goodness, are still alive and well. And I've watched them go through now their 70th, 75th birthdays and really feeling um, this sense of legacy and that your life is mm-hmm. measured. Your life is measured in your relationships. It's measured in the people yes. that you love. And I couldn't have articulated that earlier in my life, but at 40, it was very clear to me. And yep. here I was presented with this idea and thought, oh gosh, I've got to follow this. So in the same year that I got a meeting at Random House after several years of knocking on doors and sort of walking around with my manuscripts, trying to kind of get someone to read them and understand if there was anything there. I had these children's books. I sold the first one, Buddy's Bedtime Battery to Random House. I launched Boombox as a business and launched Truegeist as the vehicle to fund Boombox. So we would do client Uh, client work. And with mm -hmm. every client work that I did, I would write that check to myself. I would deposit it to Boombox and I, and I built the business um, through that kind of synchronous uh, relationship. Mm -hmm. Some people would call it dysfunctional to me. I called it synchronous, but um, (laughs) that's a debate for business class. And so all those things happened at my 40th birthday. And had I not had the life experience that got me that far, had I not taken a couple of years off, four years off to just be home with my kids and take a deep breath and had mm-hmm. the gift that we were able to do that financially in our household where I could be home for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then think about, okay, I'm going to jump off the deep end now with no floaties. What are the things I'm going to do that are important to me and where I feel like I can um, do things in the world that have a positive impact on other people out there? And you use mm-hmm. the word footprint. And I feel like my interpretation of that is not all of us will change the world. In fact, Mm -hmm. most of us will not change the world, but Mm -hmm. our goal is to leave a positive footprint on our little corner of the world. Yes. And so if this is my little corner of the world, are the things that I'm getting up and doing each day, leaving a positive footprint, either, I'm sharing a story with a five-year-old and we have the best time and we talk Mm -hmm. about things and we get into it and we have a great time. And that maybe that little five-year-old leaves with an idea, you know, Um, or confidence to go off to school or make a friend or, um, you know, hopefully for their parents have a better bedtime routine. Um, Then that's a positive imprint. If I can help someone make a memory box for someone they love, to celebrate them and help them feel loved and feel appreciated in their life. Yeah, I'm going to do that. If I can use my creative energy to help another brand go forth and make a positive impact with their business. Yes, I'm going to do that. So, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of perspective and that ability to sort of see it from that level wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't there until I was in my forties. I wasn't ready for that. That life experience. Uh, so first of all, you are an entrepreneur. You are a creative entrepreneur. And I do think it was synchronistic. Totally organized, orchestrated, synchronistic, how it all came together. 
the other thing that you are talking about, Christina, which is such, it's a cornerstone of our philosophy on the show, is you are engaging in life in a way that you're modeling for your kids. Like you are, you are showing them that you are creating, you are passionate, you are struggling, you are figuring it out. And that is like the best thing we can do for our kids is to give them an example of engaging in life and creating meaning. So I'm giving you I'm, I'm giving you an award. So I know you don't get a lot of a lot of um, a lot of a job uh, job feedback. So I'm giving you I'm giving you an award. I think that that's awesome and it's a great example for all of us. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. And I I do hope that they go off someday and feel the confidence to really chase what um, makes them feel passionate. And I think yeah. that their generation really does place a value upon that yes. in a way yes. that our, us Gen Xers were a little bit right. more about like, get out there, pay your bills, go. Right. Yep. This generation is really thinking about it in a different way. They are. Christina, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Okay. Here we go. I'm ready. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your own life, your kids, and or those you love. Uh, for me, this is definitely watching my mother care for her disabled sister um, in adulthood. My mom lost both of her parents by the time she was 30. She mm. is the oldest of three siblings, and her younger sister had... Um, very sadly had developmental and cognitive disabilities um, from an early childhood illness that caused brain damage and therefore, um, you know, made life more difficult for her than uh, it is for a lot of us. So my mom was her uh, parent for mm. her entire adult life. And as a child, watching my mother give unconditional love to her own sister and mm. care for her and worry for her about her as much as she did for her own four children, um, I think made me a better sibling um, and a better daughter. And um, I also understood very, very early on that you don't sit and bicker with your sister about that pair of jeans in your teenage mm. years or some of the dumb stuff that my friends were fighting with their siblings about. Your mm -hmm. sibling is your ally in life. Your sibling is who's going to take care of you um, through and through. And that is how my siblings uh, behave. I just saw my older sister last night. We went to the movies together. Um, and so I think for me, that experience of observing my mother mm -hmm. um, in that role has absolutely had an incredible uh, impact on me. That's powerful. And um, again, goes to the modeling that parents do for their kids, right? The messaging that is done through action, even more than words. 
and seeing, I, I mean, I can't imagine your mom as a young adult taking on this responsibility for decades, um, says, also speaks to the type of person your mom is. Oh, you got to meet her, Dr. Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it all came from. Where it all came from. <laughs> Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. And I so appreciate you talking about your personal and parenting experience and how you're putting yourself out there in your other media, all of the other host of media um, events that you're doing right now and your promotion. And it really helps regular parents have compassion for themselves about the parenting experience, right? Keeping it real and trying to resist all of these pressures we feel and all the social media that makes it look like things are a certain way. Like parenting is exhilarating, it's excruciating, and it's everything in between. <laughs> That's just the way it is. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's the best. Yes. <laughs> and the long haul, everyone, the long haul. We're in this for the long haul, creating these human beings to grow up and be in the world right. and uh, have engaging lives. Christina, tell everyone where they can get look for your series, look for all of the, um, the, the you're doing a lot of media these days. How do they find you? Sure. The easiest place is just christinageist.com. And there are links there to everything I do. So you can find books, you can find Boombox, you can find True Guys, you can find it all at christinageist.com. And if you are just looking for books, you can just go straight directly to your favorite bookseller, um, ideally your favorite independent bookseller. Um, and you can just search my name there and all of my titles will um, show up and be available to you there. And it is a uh, beautiful and easy, navigable website because you also are a professional brander, and that shows through in in, in in all that you do. The books are beautiful, everyone. The books are the books are beautiful. Uh, they are works of art. Thank you. We have Tim yes. Bowers to thank for that. Yeah. That's it, everyone. Another wonderful conversation. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Thank you for sharing this episode with everyone you think will benefit. Do your best to be the person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.